0: Everything's waiting for you, you just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan, this is the Get Off The Bench Podcast, and here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench Podcast. Today is all about just trying your hand at whatever it is you want to do. And I absolutely love this chat today with Brandon Burns. We talk about everything. We're going to talk about singing, modeling, acting, doing voiceovers, uh, starting startups, being an entrepreneur, angel investing, uh, production companies. This is so fantastic. And I really reckon it will inspire you to think, you know what? I'm going to give it a crack. So let me tell you about him. Brandon Burns is a seasoned professional actor, performer, TV host, and startup investor. Brandon is a passionate advocate for having an entertain-first mindset, helping challenger brands and startups differentiate with amazing content and virality. He has worked extensively in sales, marketing, digital, startup, and corporate environments. Brandon loves comedy and making his audience laugh. He's appeared on classic Australian TV shows such as Neighbours, Round the Twist, Blue Healers, Rush, and has featured in short films such as Dugong, directed by Erin White, and End of Town by award-winning Australian director Julius Avery. He was also an Australian Idol contestant. Brandon currently voices the characters of several children's cartoons airing on Channel Nine, Seven, Ten, ABC Kids, and BBC Kids in the UK. He's the co-founder of Torched Productions and believes that failures help to shape us and push us to learn quickly and propel into future opportunities. Welcome, Brandon.
1: Thank you, Karen. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. Fantastic. You are a bloody go-getter. I mean, all that stuff I read out in in the intro, I don't even know how you've had time to do it, so you've jammed so much into your young life i don't know how old you are brandon but i'm like, you're younger than me you know so uh th- that's young right and <laughs> but it seems like you've got this endless energy and passion well like, you just keep going hard at it where does this come from like what shaped you what shaped the brandon that we know today
1: oh well my my mum was a school teacher at the primary school i went to and my dad was a milkman um there you go what a combo <laughs> but um <laughs> Look, I, I no doubt, I feel like I got my work ethic and my energy from my parents, but also um, when I was, well, when I was 12 11, 12, I started participating in film and television. Yeah. And then when I was 15, I actually lived away from home for six months with about 17 other children and we filmed a television show on Channel 10 and we had a tutor on set, so we had a makeshift classroom, excuse me, that was um, located next to the studio's so we filmed at a global television in Nunawading, wadding where Neighbours is filmed. So yeah. in the adjacent studio, we filmed for six months. And then you, listeners might like this, directly after our show completed, a new, a very new show never heard of called Rove Live went into that studio and stayed for about you know, 10, 15 years. But <clears throat> it was at that early age where I sort of got my exposure to working um, And also, I got a lot of exposure at a young age to, um, I wouldn't say handling rejection, but um, having to interview and audition. So I reckon there was something to be said for going to casting calls and auditions on a weekly basis, and more often than not, not getting the gig purely based upon selection of a different look or whatever. Um, But that really steeled me for understanding the process of having to uh, reset, rejig, and uh, re-go at something. Um, whether it's learning lines Mm. or just making an impression or presenting yourself, Um, and quite often that was in an adult environment, you know. So me as a 14-, 15-, 16-year-old kid, I was learning how to go and re-energise and present and open myself up to a new opportunity. So it's probably that, I reckon, that that leads to...
0: And it's kind of like just every time you step into a new space... You, you just have to turn the switch off, you know, to everything else from the past, like all the rejections and all the um, all the self-doubt. No, oh, they didn't take me. You just got to switch. I, you know, it's kind of like with me being on stage for 43 years or whatever it is. It's it's no matter what's going on, you got to flick that switch. And you just got to get on there, and you just got to perform. And you know, you talk about—it's I, I, probably come from your mum, but anyway, you talk about your dad being a milkman. My—I'm my, blonde, and my parents are both um, dark. And Mum used to joke, "Oh yeah, you, because you're the milkman." So maybe we're brother and sister, Brandon.
1: Potentially. Ah. I mean, my my dad wasn't always a milkman. He worked—he worked for selling for a while, but then he sort of you know grabbed grabbed hold of the entrepreneurial bug and went for it. But um, when I when I was 17 and I was on Australian Idol. My dad actually went around Geelong, where we live, and he put a bunch of "Vote One Brandon" for Australian <laughs> Idol on, on, you know, all around uh, the suburbs of Geelong and on the milk truck. And this is back when you know you had to pay fifty-five cents every time you texted or called and voted.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And and it got it got me a certain um way you know in the show as a result. So, um, yeah, milkman touched with a bit of entrepreneurism, I think sort of stoked the fire for me as well, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Did he get the sack? Oh, no, that's right. He owned his own business. That's right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah. so, so you, you talk about being an Australian Idol contestant. What made you apply for that? Oh,
1: well, when I was 17, or 16, 17, I was going to a singing school in Melbourne called Jan School of Singing, and it was like the the place to be, you know, Delta Goodrum and, um, all these different acts from Home and Away and Neighbours stars to the pop stars were all going there, right? And I, I sort of went there to really broaden my skill set. So up until that point, I was just a musical theatre performer. You know, I had a relatively good feel and musicality and rhythm, but I learned how to songwrite there.
0: Yeah.
1: And I also learned how to, you know, on a weekly basis in a group mm-hmm. singing lesson really put myself outside of mm-hmm. my comfort zone and... Um, And then I was writing, I was writing a a new song every week and producing it with a producer. Um, And then Australian Idol came along in 2003. And this was pre-Facebook, pre-YouTube, kind of pre-internet, you know. So it was, you know, it was the most watched television up up until recently MasterChef beat it. They had about 2.63 million viewers for the grand final. And it was... um, it was back when TV was still very much the medium that influenced and was most familiar with people. And um, I had to go on it because there was nothing more bigger. And it had just been a hit in America. So Australia was the first season, you know. So it was a huge tidal wave to go on a ride. And uh, I thought, I've got to put myself in the mix. And I was um, I was 13th in line. And I was the second person in Melbourne to get a, um, it was like a pink ticket on the Thursday. To come back on the Monday to actually audition for the judges. I think it was Marsha Hines, Dicko, and Mark Holden. Andrew, Andrew G and James Matheson were the hosts. Yeah. And, and so I had to, you know, you had to pre-audition as such. And so I got through to that. And then, and it was just amazing, the sheer amount of people that were throwing themselves into the mix. Um, but but let me tell you, right, reality television, as much as people knock it, it still is a very real um and relevant way to give yourself a huge acceleration and bump and sort of put distance between you and your competition to differentiate and to sort of have a bit of a notoriety and profile and name mm. that you can leverage, which I did um because of how far I got in the competition to, to generate work and more opportunity. So yeah. Yeah. it was um an undeniable opportunity that you just had to throw yourself in the mix. I mean I I had to go at the voice 15 years later. Here's me trying to get on the voice in, in the the daggy dad category. There's been like one, maybe two of those. And uh, and you know what? I thought I sung my heart out and did a great job and got nowhere, you know? So it was a real humbling lesson in understanding how um, the stars have got to align a bit, but also you've just got to keep throwing yourself at the opportunity. And eventually one or two does stick. Um, yeah. My, mine just happened to stick at an early age.
0: Yeah, you know? but you, you're so right you do just have to keep throwing yourself out now when you speak about the voice you know a few weeks ago I had young Lily Burke was on the the podcast and she's um you know she went on the voice so 14 and you know that was fantastic yeah. and I, I did put a video up you know of me singing Mercedes Benz I applied for the voice too with uh you know and I didn't even get a I didn't even get a shot but you can't you can't just then say well that makes me a terrible singer no, I, You know that sort of stuff. You 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 just got to keep going at it and going at it. So I love that you're doing that and I love that you're sending that message because I think that's uh, yeah. So and you 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 got that there was the season you were in with uh Guy Sebastian and Shannon Noll and you know all those guys. So Tossum Yeah. um do he was good
1: too. Uh yeah. uh Paulini. Yeah, yeah. Um who else was there? Rob Millsy Mills. Yeah.
0: That was um, one hell of a year. That one, that was a.
1: Super. It was, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a great. I mean, it was a, yeah, it was awesome to watch too. Seeing the level of production that was put into that show, you get to perform with a live band. I learned so much in the live television setting. You know um, how unlive a, sh- a live show really is. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of pre-recording so much to to give off the appearance of being live. And I almost got disqualified from the show because back then. We had a gag order on us where we weren't allowed to do any uh, PR or um, news articles until our episode was aired. And they ran a story uh, in Geelong around um my my father and I for like a Father's Day special. And it almost got me kicked off the show because a week prior, one of the contestants, Anthony Sombardi, He was a a guy who got kicked off because he went on uh, radio with Kyle and Jack Yeo and sort of spilt the beans. I remember that, yeah, yeah. And they treated it really seriously, you know, whereas now with the internet it's like the more you leak, the better.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Give us a headline. <laughs> but anyway, that 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 season was great because all those guys went through and did stuff, and you might not have gone through there, but you you still took off on in, in your own direction, you know, and, and started to do a lot of work. So, and you're still a um a wedding singer, corporate singer. And yeah. you're, you're still on the crown, well, when when it's allowed to be open and that sort of stuff. So yeah. that that's awesome. And then and you somewhere in there you did modelling, so you know modelling. Oh you know, god, what was that about?
1: <laughs> oh god, I don't think I've ever been a, a model, but um it's more acting and sort of um film and and television. And I must admit, right, I got so much work acting in film and television at a younger age, but I kind of because my passion was music, I kind of glossed over it a bit. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, I really should have developed the craft and the acting muscle more Mm -hmm. earlier because of the opportunity I was able to get. And so much so that I've watched directors who I did stuff with in Australia now go on to be in Hollywood and over in LA and do stuff. And I revisited method acting classes about 12 months ago and it was a real eye-opener just to see the sheer amount of work that goes into developing that ability.
0: Yeah,
1: um, And then I remember the acting teacher telling me, he said, look, if you ever want to know the difference between good acting and bad acting, just put your TV on mute.
0: Yeah, yeah. You <laughs>
1: see if you're still engaged by, you know, the expression and the, the commitment in the actor's face. And, um, wow, that was, I mean, that was such an eye-opening experience, just the, the lessons that I had to go through, you know, learning how to appear drunk on camera without being drunk um, you know, learning how to how to be upset, how to be happy, how to improvise, learning how to get out of your own head. Like we we used to spend an hour and a half of the a three hour lesson. The first hour and a half, we were doing it was almost like a a meditation style practice where we'd sit in a chair and we'd be slumped over, and we'd have to attempt to completely relax our body, and then we'd have to make this noise of release every three to four seconds. And it was all to train our brain to slow down jumping from thought to thought so that when we're in scene and acting, our mind doesn't race and go and get distracted and we can remain in sort of in character.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: And then learning about actors and people who are, you know, masters of their craft, the sheer amount of work they still do on a daily basis Mm. for training. Um, Bradley Cooper was one that really surprised me, you know, Around the time I went back to acting classes, the movie A Star Is Born was a real hit. Yeah. And um, then deep diving deeper and learning about the amount of time Bradley has spent and does spend on his craft and how he was like a 20-year overnight success. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can even find footage of him um, as a student asking Sean Penn for advice, you know, in a Q&A. But, um, and then watching that movie, I just have to say, because it really left an impression. on I me. Mean, watching that movie and seeing how Lady Gaga won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar, and seeing how he directed as well as acted alongside her, you know, you watch that movie, and I genuinely felt like he almost, if not, made her fall in love with him. You know, and as a result, this amazing performance mm. was just was born, and it's like we're all just enthralled in it. And hearing the amount of work that goes into creating that, it just was a real humbling experience. Because it would have to be one of the hardest professions in the world, Mm. acting, you know, properly.
0: A lot of people uh, think they'd like to be an actor. Yeah, I would love to be a TV star and all that kind of stuff. So maybe it's not for everybody. But but the thing that you're touching on is that it's not impossible either. You know, but I think it's the same with... Any, You have to have talent. Like, you know, if you're going to be a singer, you're going to be an actor, like there's got to be some kind of underlying talent. But a lot of it is just bloody hard work. And I think the hard work scares a lot of people off. It, it really, really scares people off. But
1: now, I was just going to say, I think hard work and consistency, which is something I'm still mastering, right, because it takes a certain level of trust. I think what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, yes, talent is important. Because it gives someone an initial wave of confidence to think, you know what, I've got something here, I can do it. But then that's like 10% of it. And then the remaining 90 is like the hard work and consistency and discipline in trying to get better at something every day, in particular, newer things that can add to your ability that you're not good at. Yeah. And that's where I think most people's fear of being really crap, initially, it's something else. Yeah. Um, is what makes them go, you know what, I'm less inclined to want to stick at it because I'm just naturally good at this, so why wouldn't I just keep doing this? But if I look at people who, like I look up to Keith Urban as an example, right, Mm. I look at him and I go, wow, he's really gotten better and developed his songwriting ability over the years. He developed his musicality and musicianship. He's a great guitarist. Mm. He's developed his ability to cross over into different genres he's also developed this ability to still look really good so he's really (laughs) you know he's worked on his presentation yeah and uh and and it stands up you know when you look at people like that they still sit within the top you know five percent because they're um they're so consistent yeah but um you know and that's something i battle with all the time it's like trying new stuff that i know i'm going to suck at first and pushing through
0: yeah it's it's hard isn't it because you know you Yes you want to keep you want to keep practicing and you want to get good at something and you want to try new stuff but at the same time so it's kind of a double edged sword because if you're really passionate about something you know maybe you do need to just develop what you're passionate about so you can actually have a job and a life that you're getting paid for paid to do the thing you really loved, you know, and just really start to hone in on that. I think it takes all types of people. There are going to be some people that just focus on one thing that they love and they just, and there's other people, perhaps like you and I, that um we're always chasing shiny rabbits because we're practising this, but then we're like, oh, wow, look at that, I'm going to have a crack at that, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, we also live in a country where, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, it's very comfortable, but unfortunately, there's a lot of pressure to make something work relatively quickly. Otherwise, the tool poppy sets in and everyone's like, oh, why are you doing that? Um, you don't have long enough now. And obviously, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, I think that contributes to a lot of us wanting to dart around a bit because we sort yep. of want to hit and we want something to to work and, and win.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, that was just something I've noticed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. When you were in um, you know, like you've done neighbors, round the twist, blue healers, rush, and a couple of feature films and all that sort of stuff. Did you experience tall poppy do- syndrome with any of that? Like did people say you yeah, oh yeah. cut it out"? All the
1: all the time. Like, and people say it doesn't exist in America. Look, I'm sure it does on some scale. Yeah. However, um, whenever you achieve something that's quite foreign or new to you. It's not easy to not take personally when people try to knock you down. And that's, that's what I noticed and observe so much, especially with people who are experiencing it for the first time, like someone that goes on reality television. Mm. It's very real in Australia, but also it's amplified tenfold. Since I had a crack, like 2003, there wasn't a Facebook. Now there is and people have the means and they do troll and they do be quite negative. Um, and I think there's been studies done in the past, but there needs to be more work put into this, around the effects and also the consequences as a result of bullying or you know such derogatory banter uh, being attached to people who participate in shows like this. Because when you're an actor, yes, you very much do draw upon your own personality and your own kind of ego and being, and you play an alter ego or a a, a more out there version of yourself for a character. But when you're on a reality reality television environment, you're still yourself, Mm. but you have to be on and you have to be entertaining and you have to be funny and you have to be in that quick moment. Um, So it's very hard to then switch off because you're famous for being you. You're not famous for playing an amazing part where you can uh, cut the cord. And so I think a lot of people struggle with that.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you. I think there needs to be more more consequences, harsher consequences for these. I can't believe some of the shit I read and I just think, how can you get away with that, like, and, and, and when you see some of these teenagers, you know, take their own lives because someone's been cyberbullying them and and it's kind of like, you, you know, the, the kid who's done it, it's kind of, oh, sorry, I didn't realise. Oh, that's okay. No, it's not It's not bloody okay. You know, you mm-hmm. bloody knew you were doing it. And, and I reckon, you, no, I agree with you 100%. I think that needs to be locked down and people need to be not just slapped on the wrist for it, they need to have, I don't know what you know. My temptation is to say lock the bastards up, but I know that doesn't help either. But you know, it's just um, it's just. Well, I don't know. I
1: don't know about you, Karen, but I fantasize about a social media reset. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm stealing this line from a mate because he's the first one that planted the seed with me. But and I've got a reference structure like you to a life and a world pre you know this yeah. hyper intense and hyper addictive. Um, Technology and social media world, but I actually fantasize, to be honest with you, about a reset Mm. or at least going back to, or people gravitating to the idea of going offline, almost like an alternative or a collective choice. So you know how people buy classic cars now, or people like to go fully organic, yeah. Or people like to, you know, have a sea change and go and change up the pace and balance of their life. Yeah, I think that needs to, or hopefully, will happen. Uh, soon with social media and technology because um, just in my view it has gone too far you know it really has it'd be it'd be people would be lying if you asked almost anyone if they feel like they're addicted to their device Mm. everyone would probably deny it but everyone would be in some way or another
0: yep yeah, I agree. It. I agree. Yeah. And I, I, I fantasize similar to that, but as, as a life where, you know, like you and I can reference it back to our childhood where we didn't yes. have that, or even young adulthood where we didn't have that. And and I always think about you know when I was a kid, I played netball and dad played footy and he ended up playing for Richmond and that sort of stuff. But we were Hello. really big in the Warrigal footy club, you know, and and we'd go to all the local footy matches and that sort of stuff. And we played with all the other kids and we had this really wholesome life and the and the and the local clubs were big and they were part of the community and everyone knew everyone. And, you know, I I don't know. I know we can't just go back to, but I I fantasize a bit about that, you know, and not that I'm a footy head at all. I don't even watch it anymore, but where we can all just gather and really feel connected to, to one another and not just, Saying that Facebook has been the best thing for me too, because I I would do workshops all around the world, and if it wasn't for that kind of stuff and all these connections, you know, instant connections, I wouldn't be doing that. So, like, there's a the pros and cons, but how do we manage it? Anyway, we could go on that for yeah. hours. So let's just let's just move on because I'm um, talking about children and all kinds of kiddie things. You all because there's some sort of. Uh, Sense of magic isn't there in kiddie stuff because I still love to behave like a child, and many people will attest to that. But you do um, voiceovers, you know, for kids' shows. And, and yeah. what, what is it just because you're a you, you know, deep down, you're a, just a silly little kid and just enjoy that stuff, or was it was there something else there because I love it, I, I think it's yeah, what a world!
1: I did. Well, I did, um, when I was younger, I did a lot of radio voiceovers. Yeah. So I'd often go into um, Fox FM once a week and I'd do a radio voiceover for Harvey Norman or Boost Mobile or Optus prepaid or uh, the, 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 the MTV hits. And um, I sort of got into a rhythm and I was very bookable, you know, because people, I was easy to direct. I think that's what it was. I think I was easy to direct. Yeah. Um, And then I got cast in one kid's uh, animation show called Dog Star, which is, about three series and gone on to do a a telly movie. And um, what I noticed happened there was I was a young adult at the time, about 25, and alongside me they'd cast about three other kids to play the kids. Mm. So there was about, you know, three 12 to 13, 14-year-old kids. And what they noticed was it wasn't as easy to direct them uh, with voice acting. So it's quite easy to direct children in a a video setting, a film setting, because you can show them... of kinesthetically you know you can show them how to do it but it's very it's much more difficult in the studio um and i think what's um helped me get more work there is that i've developed a relationship with the produce but also i'm quite easy to direct Mm -hmm. and i can still draw upon a bit of a higher voice like yours karen uh, and play those younger characters so um but i love the voiceover work and it's um it's a bit of a gift that keeps on giving so the last show that i did the flame and thongs on abc and bbc mark mitchell played my dad yeah the, uh, con the Frutera and denise drysdale played my mum <laughs> and uh and it was a barrel of laughs like seriously recording every time with them was just like so funny the stuff that would happen in the studio oh my god mark is a very funny guy and we actually were on round the twist together like about 20 years ago yeah, I, yeah. I, I played a ghost in the lighthouse and he was he was mr gribble the grumpy mayor. yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah anyway we digress but um, yeah, it's it's a, it's great fun the voiceover thing too, and it's quite easy to do. Like it's in and out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. I, I don't know what you're talking. about. I think my voice is deeper than yours, but anyway. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> you
1: did a Barry White. <laughs> Go on, Karen. Oh,
0: dog. Hello, Brandon. Yeah, oh, I I love it. I think that's oh, What a wonderful. I, I've been I've been uh, fantasizing a little bit about that lately. You know, on and off about doing voiceovers. <laughs> It's um, every now and then I think about it and I think, ah, oh, you know, I reckon my voice would be good. It'd be like, ah, you know, I could be that real grumpy kind of, ah, or the scary thing. But, anyways, we'll, we'll see what happens down there. Now, all of this has taken you to become an entrepreneur, you, uh, you know, led you on this entrepreneurial journey. You talked about your dad before, you know, being a milkman, but and, and everything you've done is kind of like, it is entrepreneurial because you sort of you're you're a one man show really, even though you've got a team around you. It's kind of like, well, what 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 where am I going to individually place myself into all these settings and you know and make a living from it? So, at what point you reckon, um, like outside of acting and that sort of stuff, you've you've also gone on to to run other businesses and that type of stuff? What grabbed your interest to start with, other than your dad? Like, what what made you think? You know, I'm doing really well at this, and I'm going to set off into startups and, yeah, you know, like that's kind of a little left. I don't know which yeah. way I'm going on the video. Oh well, it's a little no, left no to I had it.
1: well, I had a, I had a DJing business when I was like 13, 14 with a mate, and yeah. we slowly accumulated equipment each time we get paid, and we built the business out, and um, and then I convinced myself just before I got married, um, I was working full time as a performer. I thought I've got to get a job. I've done this marketing degree. But the good thing about getting the job was I worked for an American company first in the technology department. Then I worked in another American company in the online kind of software department. Um, So I got a real understanding and an exposure to scaled software style businesses um, that were operating in much bigger markets. And obviously we were playing a role in a smaller one, but we got exposure to how they run things. Um, And then I thought, well, you know what? I've got to learn... The startup space because I'd heard and seen about it. I still am, by the way, but I decided I'll go and do it in my community. So I worked with Runway, Geelong, which is a, a community incubator and accelerator for pre-revenue kind of seed stage, social impact style uh, startups. Yeah, and I ran the community there. So it was my job to bring together all the stakeholders, investors, businesses, startups, entrepreneurs, mentors, advisors. Guide dogs, everything, right? <laughs> and then we run events, and then we we did a trip to China where we took we went with the Lord Mayor Sally Cap and a bunch of startups, and we pitched in Nanjing, China, for um, investment, um, wow. and that was that was a great experience. Yeah. Pre, pre everything that's happened here, and then we came back, and then I launched a a virtual platform. This is pre COVID with Runway which was to be a destination for regional entrepreneurs who are often isolated and don't have any form of real physical or tangible access to any of these services. And so um, we built a platform that could allow them to meet, greet, and collaborate. And then I thought, you know what, what's the last remaining piece of this puzzle I know nothing about and I need to learn It was the investment side. Mm. So, you know, I didn't know how angel investing, venture capital, private equity, you know, uh, scale investment worked. So I went and learned that at C2 Angels, where we tried to create a home for angel investors and people looking to write their first check and be that investor for the first time. Um, Yeah. And then beyond there, I thought, you know what? I've got to do what I love purposefully. So, you know, if I look back to, okay, I was a, a film and television actor and a kid, and I was, involved in producing content and, and great um, shows and ideas. I thought, what if I could learn um, how to do that better and for other people? Yep. So I thought I'll go out on a limb and I'll I'll start my own business um, called Torch Productions, which is exactly that. It's a production company that attempts to make shows and content for others. Mm. But I realised pretty quickly, oh, hang on a minute, I've got the four young kids, i got the mortgage, I'm going to need some help here because I'm taking a filmmaker mate along for the journey as well. So I, I drew upon all my experience and my uh, exposure to angel investment and investors. And I made my my list and I hit people up. And the first one I asked invested and I was like over the moon. I couldn't believe it because I was pitching I was pitching a business that wasn't necessarily going to be a billion dollar unicorn. I was pitching a business that wasn't necessarily anything new, you know, it's all been done before. But what I quickly realised was the individual that invested in me was investing in the individual, you know, he was investing in the team. Mm. And I'd learned that through angel investing that that first check and that first investor always is way more gravitating to the individual and the entrepreneur, the founder. Yeah. Because what they're looking for is if times get tough, is this person going to pack it in? Or are they going to push through and be creative and problem solving and find a way? because it's going to get tough. Yeah, you know, yeah. and um, Terry, our investor, has been incredible in that regard. you know it's it's a he's a very um, I'd say he's a very busy kind of not time poor, but just very time slammed person. Mm. But it's amazing how in the short snippets and bursts of mentorship and advisory that we get, along with our, our amazing smart money investor. It's amazing how it's kept us sort of on track, but also allowed us to become focused when quite often, as an entrepreneur, and you'd identify with this, you can get really distracted. Yeah. From all these shiny things that oh, I could do that because I've got a production company, or I could go and do that because. And it's been amazing how it's um, really disciplined us to, to remain focused um, on one to two key things and see them through. Um, And that's something that really is important um, to having an investor, right? Because we started a business during a pandemic. Mm. We started a business um, in a time when we couldn't go and be physical and in person with our clients and and we filmed stuff. Yeah. So um, being able to have that tutelage and also the ability to sort of, um, you know, double down and really plan and execute a business whilst you're kind of stuck not being able to get out and do it was actually a bit of a blessing because it's um it's good time to spend, I reckon, getting prepared for a massive twenty twenty
0: two. Well, fingers crossed! So, so when you talk about like let's say torched productions, and I wanted I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute to see you know dig a bit deeper into what you do. But so like there's a lot of people will start a business and they try to bootstrap it, you know, and they they kind of like well when I've got when I've got a thousand dollars i'm gonna you know build it and then another thousand i'm gonna build it so you're talking about getting an investor and sort of injecting a, an an amount whatever that you know it could be ten thousand twenty thousand a hundred thousand whatever it is they they inject that money into it. what's the advantage of that like what what how do the two stack up against each other bootstrapping and um getting an investor well
1: bootstrapping I think makes people um, feel and think like they've got this and um, you don't need an investor for the sake of saying and, and having an investor. However, bootstrapping, you still require an investment on your own part. Yeah. So, you know, even to, honestly, you would know this, right? And I'm sure your listeners would know to start a business, it's quite easily a ten dollars to $15,000 process. And that's, that's being frugal, that's being lean, and that's only spending on the things that are necessary. But quite quickly, you realise that, hey, you know, as you pick up a bit of momentum and you want to do it right, there are things that you've then, you've got to do sooner rather than later. And the investment piece, I believe, is so crucial for the ability to build momentum. So one thing Terry, our mentor and investor says to us, is when um, you've got momentum, you've got to push Hard. Yeah. When you're faced with adversity, you've got to innovate hard. You know, so you've really the 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 point of um difficulty is when you innovate the most and you come up with the best ideas and solutions, right? But when you've got that momentum, you have to go hard and put the pedal to the floor and really get as much as you can from it because building momentum is hard. And that's where investment, I believe, is so critical. So to give you an example, right? Starting a business in the middle of the pandemic. We needed that investment and in cash flow to allow us to build momentum and not be in a fear and desperation mindset around having to bootstrap all on top of being stuck in an environment, a pandemic where you can't do anything anyway. Yeah. So it allows you to not get in your own head and worry that, oh, my God, uh, one more month of not being break even and, and that's it. Mm. And... um you know, the other good thing about bootstrapping, I will say, is that you're spending your own money. Mm. So, you know, any startup founder, okay, take investment from an investor, but what if that was your money? And you've got to treat it like that. Mm. If that was my money, would I spend on this? Would I be as wasteful with that? Would I be as distracted and think I've got to do it all? Or would I really narrow down and, and, you know, how do you, how can you go about measuring what's going to be a really good return? from what you spend on. You know, so things like setting up your business properly are, are, are unavoidable, but things like trademarking, insurance, um, it all creeps up, you know, to make like the whole thing, right? There's small and big, but um, it's very it's very easy to rack up 10, 15K setting up a business, no problem. And it's it's, it's, it's needed, you know?
0: Yeah. So what would a small startup business use that investment for? Like what, what sort of things would they, pay pay for with that money? All the things that they can't
1: do a better job themselves and afford to uh, allocate their own time to. So, you know, we haven't spent a single dime on sales mm. because I can do that,
0: yeah. right?
1: Yeah. That's my skill set, but also I should be doing that and that's a worthwhile use of my time. Yeah, and you know, we haven't hired another video editor or filmmaker because... Ben can do that, and that's that's what he should be doing because that's our special source. That's his ability. Yeah. But as far as things like insurance, getting my website built, like website absolutely I outsourced because I don't have time to do that and it can be a beast. Yeah. Um, same with insurances, same with trademarking, same with my domain name, setting up our emails, same with bookkeeping. Like absolutely that was worth outsourcing because it would be an absolute minefield for me to do and I do think it would be a waste of my time um, for the amount that it costs to get someone else to do it. So, you know, it's it's more important than ever when you start the business to protect your own time, I think, mm. um, because, you know, otherwise you'd say to yourself, well, I really should be doing that to save money because I can work it out. And then what happens is you just you spend all this time wearing all these different hats and you're not out there growing the business Building relationships. You know, one of the biggest kick in, kick in the pants I got was a couple of months in, a mentor said to me, Are you making 20 calls a day? Mm. And I I know from experience because I've had to do that in so many sales roles in the past, and I wasn't doing it in my business because we were quite busy doing the doing. And I prioritized making time for that. And I didn't get 20 calls done in a day. I might have hit 20 voicemails, but it was amazing how quickly I was having five to seven conversations every day either catching someone or the reverse coming back to me. And before I knew it, I had a pipeline of activity and people I was forcing myself to tell them about my new business. Yeah, yeah. Um, does that answer your question or off on a bit of a tangent there?
0: No, it does because it's such a big, it's such a big, um, it's a big black hole and it's a scary black hole for a lot of people. And it's, um, it's kind of like, well, what, what would I use an investor for? I don't really know. You know, I don't have a product and I don't need any manufacturing done. So therefore, I don't know if I need one. And when you're talking about, you know all those little jobs, and we, we all fall victim to this. We all fall victim to. Oh, I'll set up my own emails and all that sort of stuff, and I don't. I don't need a VA, and you know because I'll just do it myself. So we are spending a lot of time, you know, uh, doing those little things rather than doing the thing that we're truly gifted at. It's um the temptation is though to say. Uh, I'll put in a thousand of my own money, and then I'll still fuck around because I don't owe anyone back. Do you know? So the thing that yep. when you do owe somebody five grand, ten grand, twenty grand, is that you—I think that builds a momentum in a sense that you have to pay that money back you, and pl- plus interest. So therefore, I'm going to yeah, work harder.
1: Yeah, I was going to say right. I agree with that, but I think what 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 is a good test for that is you know, bootstrapping the initial setup yourself, but then maybe um, if you're going to bootstrap employing your first person, that's a good test because not only are you committing the money to pay that person, but also no one wants to employ someone that they're going to have to just get rid of in three or four months' time. Yeah. So, you know, that's a good challenge because you have to step up, grow your business, show that person you're a good mentor and that you can lead and grow a business so they can maintain employment and have the security safety and confidence as well yeah uh, and that's a great way unfortunately i think you just got to put the heat on you've got to take the risk enough where you're like okay i'm stretching here and i've got to realistically make it happen rather than go i'll just wait till we earn a little bit more then i'll go and do that next thing you know it's it's always got to be the other way around i think yeah um stretching that's for a startup you know like for a small business well maybe small's good and that's fine also you know and they just they bootstrap and they grow when they need to, and they stay in their lane, and that's fine too.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you, you are also investing now, so you've sort of. Switched hats and sort of thought, oh, this is pretty good. You know, now I've got an investor. Now I understand how it works. And by the way, I've got to say, go back a bit and say, I love that you identify the gap. You know, th- this is something I don't know about. I'm, I need to go learn it. And I, a lot of people don't do that. I, I love that you did. Um, and we're all guilty of not doing it, but more of us should do it. Anyway, so you've gone out and learned about investment. You've got your investor, but there's some point there you decided you're going to become an investor investor and and you start off small and all that sort of stuff is it is it one why did you do that and two is can is that for everyone can everyone just become an investor
1: yeah totally well I did it because I wanted to diversify and also I'd seen these businesses called Afterpay and Canva and Atlassian <laughs> and and it's like it was still so foreign to me and then through working in an angel investment firm I learned that someone actually can be first. Someone can be the first investor. And quite often the first, second, third investor are the ones that put in not a huge check, you know, maybe 20, 30 grand, and they get a decent position on the cap table. So they get a a bit of equity in the business. And they also have that feeling of being first, believing in that person. And the first investors are always the ones that are looked after the most, right? Mm. But also it's a way to like get involved with amazing entrepreneurs and founders that when you meet them or you witness their work, you just know, you know, well, they're going to hit. It's going to be huge, right? So it's a way to get involved without having to be actively involved. And I think that's really appealing to people. But some of the ways that people can get, and yes, it can be for everyone. Obviously, if you're going to be a full-time investor, you'd want to be talking to startups about whether you're a sophisticated investor or not and what they're willing to accept. There's some ways in which anyone can participate, similar to when you see people buying Bitcoin and crypto all the time. And one, one way I'd recommend is jump onto a site called angellist.co. And that's where you can jump into other people's syndicates who are investing and you can invest with them and you can follow their lead. And they'll often be people that are doing it full time. They're doing the research. They're right across the opportunity. And you can just choose to tip in alongside them. Another way to do it locally in Australia is to jump on virtual. Um, And that's a crowdfunding website where anyone can participate and invest in uh, businesses that are looking to crowdfund and raise a a campaign including a a massive amount of people. Um, And that's a great way to sort of start getting exposed to good opportunity in founders and businesses and get a piece of the action early. Um, I love that as well because that's fun, right? Because then you can invest in something that you identify with might be something that's doing a really good impact on the environment or something that's disrupting the buy now pay later space and you can actually have a piece early without having to spend a fortune
0: so it's kind of like shares a little bit like that isn't it but so with this virtual yeah. if you say there's a hundred people and they all invest ten yeah. bucks or, or what or hundred bucks or whatever is who's the leader then like who who becomes the key investor in that
1: Yeah, so quite quite often a business will have what they probably refer to as a a lead investor or investors or a cornerstone investor. Yeah. And it'll often be someone that's gone first, that's tipped in a decent amount of money, but also as someone that will likely make others follow. Yeah. And it's likely someone that will probably follow on. So quite often you'll see that investors who are smart and savvy will participate in the very first round of money, but they'll also want to go again when that team goes to raise more money and more money again. And they'll often negotiate to kind of reserve the right to be one of those first follow-on investors. Um, And they're typically the people that go first and sort of, you know, the most known people or the people that really help attract others. Mm. Um, And they're important to get because if you can find a smart money one, that's often someone that's willing to give a bit of mentorship and advice like what we got, but also someone who sees opportunity in investing in your business because they might see ways in which you could complement their business or other businesses in their portfolio that's when you're really going to attract someone good and give them a compelling reason to invest
0: yeah and so when you invest do you mentor like do you include that as well
1: yeah totally i mean for me i want to be early and i want to be um i want to be relevant to the founder because I know that that founder is going to either fail at this business, but they're going to probably try three or four more and they will hit. And when they do, um, it's people who've come along for the ride and supported them that will be exposed to that opportunity. And, you know, I can't, I think what's so attractive about angel investing is that I can't run really more than one business yes. properly. I'd love to, right? Because then I'd go and try and do something in the buy now, pay later space. I'd go and try to do something in the hospitality space. I'd probably go try to do something in the tech space. But, you know, I can only do it once and or once at a time. But yeah. angel investing allows you to do it more than once mm-hmm. at a time. You could have a piece of 10 amazing founders just like yourself and you can be part of their business without having to be running it. I was like, that's exciting because then that's a form of scale for yourself. You know, you're finding other people like you and you're saying, wow, you got you are going to do something amazing. Uh, let me just quickly jump in, in line so I don't miss out.
0: Yep. Yep. I love it. What about the founders who uh, fear, I'm I'm too scared to get an angel investor because they'll take over my business?
1: Uh, it's just I've never really met an angel investor who wants to do that. That's more of a situation you will encounter when you're raising scale investment. So, you know, until you're going to be raising like one to two, million dollars and upwards, Mm. that's when you're going to be speaking to venture capital firms and private equity firms who are going to want to take a big stake in your business and they will want to try and exercise some form of control or rights.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But before that point, most angel investors are time poor. They've got a portfolio view. They're investing in multiple things. They don't want to be involved day to day. They just want to get a monthly update and they want to see that it's heading in the right direction. And if they do have something to say, they're keen to see that you're willing to listen. That's yeah. that's the biggest thing. None of them are going to want to take over a business because they don't have time.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love all this. All right. So I love it. And you are really big on the um entertain. I, I we have to keep moving, on. we'll be here for bloody three days. Of I love this stuff. Um, you you're you're really big on, as I said in the intro, the entertain first mindset. So tell us about yeah. that. Because I love that. Well,
1: yeah. Entertain first assume rapport go first be first so you know there's two key things there that i'm passionate about the word entertain and the word being first so the latest book i'm reading is go live by fred shibester yeah i mean that's the guy you you, the founder of finder yeah and it literally it literally means first like he says if you've got an idea you want to test it out go live yeah put it out there you know be first um for me, I believe there's huge advantage in a brand or a person being the first at something. And I love it when people do something that's different or a different way, and it's not maybe the most popular yet, but it's the first way of doing it. And then secondly, the whole entertain mindset is, well, in a world where YouTube really is now owning our attention and is becoming the destination for news, gaming, gaming, entertainment sports every genre you know and the whole platform is predicated on monetizing people with the most views that tells me you have to you have to be entertaining so for a brand and people we want to work with yes we can make content and corporate video and and great explainer material and stuff that looks good on social media but i think every business should be considering being a media business and being an entertainer. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, people stay longer, you know this. If they get, if they get hooked into a really good story, if something's entertaining, dramatic, funny, everything, everything that a brand should be, other than telling everyone how amazing they are.
0: Yeah. yeah. So it's
1: a very broad statement, but it really says, well, you know, as a brand, as a business, are you up for the challenge to be really entertaining? Are you willing to actually put that as a priority ahead of just ticking a box? You know, are you brave enough to commit to something that just might become massively viral? Yeah. And what if it did? Oh, my yes. God. You know, all the biggest brands that you and I would identify with and remember the ads of and and the most iconic ones are the ones with the most quirkiest Funniest campaigns, I believe.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And the ones that we still sing from our childhood, the ones, the ads. Well, here's videos. my point.
1: I actually sang the Cotties commercial when yeah. I was a kid. Did my you? My dad picks the fruit that goes to Cotties? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> everyone remembers that
0: <laughs> my dad picks the fruit that goes to cottage, goes cottage the that i like best i remember that. <laughs> I yeah, love there that. you go I, I love it so we talk about you know when we're trying to um give content and that we, we you know entertainment and education and there is another one that slipped my mind right at the minute but uh, all that yeah. type of thing but if, at the end of the day though even if it's educational if it's not entertaining, we're not going to listen for very long. It's kind of like a professor at the front of a university hall, you know, telling us everything we have to believe and telling us what to think. But entertainment, you know, it's kind of it, it sticks and it's funny and, and we enjoy yeah. it. Uh, I, I, look, tell us tell us about Torch Productions because I'm, I tell you what, I'm getting way off track here, but I'm loving this, loving this yeah. so much. So so what, what do you, it, it, like, what do you offer? What do, What do we come to you for, for Torch Productions? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, when I started the business, right, I said I absolutely love making funny and entertaining stuff for people. There's no reason why I can't do it for a business or a brand mm-hmm. or, you know, a business that's up for it. Yeah. Our challenge is how do we make sure that what we do and offer can be measured and monetized and people can justify yet yeah, it's worth it, right? So we've made a commitment that we've created our own shows and now people can see what we've created. And they can either pay us to create their own show or at minimum, create their own content that really expresses their personality. So we've got a show on LinkedIn called One Minute Millionaire and it's one minute bites with millionaires and high net worth people and successful people. We've got another one called She Knows, which is a round table with six women. And they've got a couple other plans for early next year. But our point of difference is, We want to create content that makes your competition and your industry look like you're the leader, right? So imagine a business was to create their own show or format that other people and competitors would watch because it's just so good. And and the idea is they get to call themselves the owner and the leader and the producer of this amazing new concept and idea and delivery. So I want to help people who want to own their industry. Mm. I don't want to help people that just want to, create another great explainer video. I mean, we can do that and we do that all day long. I want to help people who really want to challenge maybe the person who's number one brand in their space and become the number one. You wow. know, so someone who's nipping at the heels and really needs that last edge or point of difference. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of what we do, right? And we're very flexible. So we work with people, workshopping ideas. We help people with script writing out initial ideas for content. Um, we help people reverse engineer backwards. So let's say a client came to us, we'd say, right, where do you want this ideally to be in 12 months? Yeah. Now, do you wanna have the number one show on YouTube for uh, payday lending? Okay, well, here's how we're gonna do it. Let's reverse engineer it back where we'd start. How's it, how's it need to look on social media? So what kind of content will we need to create to make you blow up on TikTok or Instagram? Mm. Uh, and then we then we go on that journey with them, and it's it's a really a process of trying new things as well. So it's like brands that really want to push the boundary and try different and new things, because as we all know in startup world, some things stick, some things don't. But if you don't try, you know, if you don't try and try again, you won't get to that really good creative piece unless Mm, you have. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of where we sit. Look, we we have a specialty in working with brands who want to raise money. So we've done a lot of campaigns now for businesses who needed a video and video content to illustrate why they're worthwhile investing in. Um, And then we also love to do mini documentary style pieces as well. So we've made quite a few of those now where we feature amazing stories for brands and we make it a piece of content that someone would watch because it's just such... A compelling story.
0: Mm. So it's like they're making little ads for people, but it's very, 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 very personalised and very, very um, honing in on their unique little that something that unique special yeah. something that just makes personality. Them, yeah, yeah. And, and elevates them right out of the right out from where they are. And, and and you're right because a lot of people will be focusing on what they do well, and what they do well may not be creating videos. Do may not be yeah. creating that sort of. No, I absolutely love it. I, I, I've loved this. I've absolutely loved this. I'm going to ask you my get off the bench question because, of course, you can see the sign behind me, Um, get off the bench. <laughs> so we want to inspire people to take action. Now, there's going to be people listening to this episode that are, say t- two things. One, they're in awe of all the things that you've done. I'm talking about quality yeah quantity how many things you've done but also the fact that you've done dream jobs you know they are dream jobs let's face it singer, actor you know that's pretty cool but so no so one they're going to be in awe of all that but two they're going to be inspired by this conversation and pondering that maybe they could do you know one or more of the types of things that you've been doing so what do you want to say to them
1: Um, I would say if you've identified, if you've been lucky enough to identify that you're really good at something and you're talented at something, you have to lean into it further and you can't settle for just being good at something. You have to develop all the skills around that core talent to make yourself be the best at it compared to higher and higher and higher people. So, you know, that's one thing I've learned and I'm still learning. Get better at what you're already good at. Mm. Don't settle for just being good at something and relying on it being enough. Get better at being good at something. Mm.
0: Yep, love it. How do we do that? How do we How do we get up in the morning? Because that self doubt little bastard talks to us all the time, and it's kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm on a roll. I'm on a roll. Ah, oh, damn, I'm never going to make it. How do I get over that? How do I get up and just keep going every day? Because that's what you. Well, that's what you present as you do. That's what I present as I do. Maybe we don't do that all the time, but that's just our that's our presentation. But um, I've
1: got I've always got a book that I take with me to the toilet, as unhygienic as that sounds, <laughs> but it enables me to churn to at least eight to ten pages. So you can imagine what's happening in there, Karen. But um, there's people who have a much better handle on that question than you or I. So for me, I just finished reading, but the good thing is you can continue to read it, um, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. Yep. Uh, he's amazing because he's like a just an amazing performance hacker. And he's interviewed all the world's greatest and most interesting. Over 80% meditate every single day. So I have to get cracking on that because that's an undeniable stat. He makes his bed to win the day, as basic as that sounds, but he makes the thing, even if it's just a rush job, it's made.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he he is a pretty boring person when it comes to consistently eating, drinking, and timing-wise the same thing. Um, and you know, exercise goes without saying. He factors that in. Yep. But I would say probably one thing I think that came out of reading that book and helping a lot is actually just everyday writing. Mm. So that that um, it's almost like that cathartic exercise of handwriting in a journal, even if it's only like five, ten minutes, if it's your to-do list, um, there is something in that because that really it's like an extension of the thought, the intent, through the hand, into the pen and onto the paper. And um, he's got this thing uh, that he does, which one of his ex-girlfriends gave him, called the jar of awesome. And he has a a jar on his bench. And every day he has to jot something down positive or that's awesome about life or his life or what's happening and put it in there. And it's like an exercise in committing to adding to the jar of awesome. Yeah, yeah. And obviously he can revisit it at any time and review but it's more the process of adding to it yeah uh, there's so many things but it's not you know it's never easy but especially during these times uh, i've been i feel like i've been really lucky karen because i've got my four kids and my wife at home so it's kind of it's a busy dynamic it, it can get a bit grindy as well because um homeschooling and kids being high energy and quite unrelenting but um I feel lucky in that sense and I'm, you know, I'm not living in a shoebox, so we've all got a bit of space to spread out. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just winning the day by doing a couple of key things, I think, writing in the journal, baking the bed, um, yeah, and not too much coffee. Yeah,
0: I've got to have my morning coffee, but I agree with you about that getting it out of you. Because one, my concept we get off the bench is get it out of your head, onto paper, and into action. And I, I'm so big on that writing it down because that is that is massive as far as um, getting things done. I dance every morning. That's my way of getting up and going up up the driveway, and my neighbours get a good little party every morning. But anyway. <laughs> Now, Brandon, I have loved this conversation. I could, I could seriously talk to you for days and days and days because there's so much juice, but uh, I can't. So, where can, um, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, Brandon Burns on LinkedIn. Yeah, our website is gettorched with a T, so g e t t o r c h t dot com. Follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, that's the best way. I mean, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where we're most active as a business. And uh, that's our community. That's where we try to run our community. And, you know, if you want to subscribe to us on YouTube, that would help incredibly because obviously I want to get to a 1,000 YouTube subscribers as quickly as possible. Uh, And that's the home of all of our um, media and entertainment and content. You know, YouTube is our home. All roads for us as a business lead to our audience on YouTube. So
0: yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to, I've got a whole section here of, of uh, personal ones for you, website, you know, Insta, Twitter, all that kind of stuff, YouTube and also for Torch production. So I'll I'll put them in the show notes as two separate um, ones, but that, that YouTube, that Torched YouTube channel is fantastic. I've been having a good look at that and having a great laugh about the, the black pill and the red pill. And I absolutely love your, um, uh, the dynamics between you and Ben, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. And it really gives people a good idea of what they're going to get, you know, working with you. And I, I just love Ben's face. It, it doesn't taste like anything. Just have the bloody thing for Christ's sake. <laughs> All right. I added that last bit, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny as buggery. So, but I, I, I've i loved this and I, and um, really, really, really appreciate you sharing so much gold with us. Really fantastic.
1: Oh, thank you for having me and for collaborating with um Startup Gippsland and meeting each other there and, and yep. from one fellow mentor to another. Great work on the podcast as well. It's awesome, the
0: show. Thank you very much. <laughs> I guess we're just two awesome souls, aren't we? Two little peas in a pod, two little peas in an exploding torched pod. That's what that we is are. It.
1: Get torched, baby. Get torched.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. And we'll catch up with you soon thanks karen thanks oh guys how was that i'm exhausted that was such a good conversation and i reckon we covered absolutely well i don't know about everything but by jesus that was a good conversation i really hope you got some great gold nuggets out of that and you know you might not want to be an actor you might not want to be a wedding singer or you might not want to be an entrepreneur or whatever you know just just i really hope that something in there that Brandon might have said may have inspired you to get off your own bench and do that thing because goddamn life's short and it you know he's only young and he's achieved all this stuff I'm an old fart and I've still achieved stuff it doesn't matter what what age you are it doesn't matter anything if you've got something you want to achieve just go for it we only get one crack at this life anyway really hope you've loved it and um Thank you for joining me every single week. Go follow Brandon on his social media platforms and and connect with him on LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Check out what he's doing with Torched Productions and all of that stuff will be in the show notes below. And I hope you follow him. Okay, thanks heaps and I'll see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.